Hello, this is Dr. Carol. Hope Radio. Welcome to Make Life Happen. I'm very, very eager to help you make your life happen even more than you already are. And I know that you can reach out to people around you and make life happen even more. But today we're talking about depression. This is part two. We just can't cover it all. I have some wonderful individuals, and I'm going to be quoting them a little bit later, that did address me on my Facebook. And you can do that as well at Dr. Carol Francis Show. That's a Facebook or Dr. Carol Francis. Feel free to go to the wall or to go to... Um, wherever you can, I'd love to connect with you and would love to hear about how you manage your depressions when you go through them. When you feel depressed, sad, tearful, down, blue, bleak, hopeless, helpless. And today with the economy, the news, the wars, the natural disasters, a lot of people can have a tremendous amount of reasons to be depressed. To say nothing of families breaking down, divorce, normal things, of having to deal with death, deal illness, disease. I'm just feeling overwhelmed with the stresses and the strains of life. Now, I'm not one, though, that actually wants to have you live into your depression, and therefore I'm a little bit reluctant to go into it from the standpoint of being completely empathic or sympathetic. I know that one time the National Public Radio doing a fine job of reporting, but one of the comments was, can you, like, give us something worthy to listen to that helps us lift our spirits up and move forward? And that comment's not uncommon for the news to to hear those sorts of statements because but because they do report the things that we are afraid of, that we're dreading, that we're oh, we have that startle reaction to. Now, what's so important about that is that the media knows that we can become extremely allured, addicted, attracted by the things that are startling and upsetting and depressing of concern, that are frightening. Guess what? Depression is not too different than that. Depression is a very natural response, as I said in the previous show, a natural response to things that are all about loss or things that are sad, things that we don't want to occur, things that are transitioning, that are coming to an end, not knowing exactly where the beginning of the next is going to take place. Depression is natural. You don't need to drug yourself away when you need to feel sad, tearful, things are lost. You do not need to drug yourself away from feeling it. In fact, feeling it and passage through it with as much support as you need is actually more helpful than trying to hide from it or obscure it or to drag yourself away from it. However, on the other hand, here's the odd thing about depression. It's almost like a mistress or a diva luring you into the fog of the the breaking rocks that are going to crash your ship. And that diva of depression can lure you into it because it can tell you certain things that are simply not true. And one of the main things that depression seems to tell us that is not true is that it's hopeless and we are helpless. That it's whatever it is, it's hopeless, there's nothing we can do about it, we are trapped, we are sunk, it is in desperate states, or that we are helpless, that there's no way in which we can do anything to actually affect our situation. I think I see this a lot nowadays when it comes to um, jobs, 
finding jobs is not easy. People hold on to jobs they can't stand, and they also are desperate when they cannot find a job. Now, some of that desperation is absolutely congruent with the state of the economy. In other words, it's a realistic response, like, oh, this is devastating, and it can be devastating. So I'm not simplifying that or saying that you need to be Pollyannish about it. However, on the other hand, you can't act upon that point of view and you can't act upon the feeling of being desperate or depressed. The only action that's really an option when you don't have a job is trying to find a job. And in order to be able to find a job, you have to move forward. You have to knock on so many doors, send out so many resumes, maybe take a different situation that you don't ordinarily, you wouldn't want to court, but you necessarily may need to do that because income is necessary. So, therefore, you could go ahead and be depressed. And you could listen to the lies of depression, which is you are helpless and things are hopeless. And those two lies of depression will keep you without motivation and will keep you without motion. That's part of depression is that lethargy, can't get up, can't move, can't get your brain going, the heaviness of it all, feeling like it has completely stalled you out to the point of, like, death seems like an option. When in reality, the only option you have is motion, movement and trying to affect things, trying to impact, trying to change things. And I know that's a little bit different than the philosophy of sometimes you need to sit still and relax. When I'm talking about the type of depression that tells you to be motionless because there's no hope, that's not the time to be motionless. It's actually the time to say to it, the lure of the lies of depression, sorry, but I can't listen to you because you're not telling me anything worthwhile. And that is one of the ways of responding to depression is being able to look it in the face and saying, look, you are trying to attract me into that dark cave, and I know that there's nothing there but bones of people who have gone there before me and have died because they have just stayed there being depressed in the dark and the dank. So if you're feeling depressed, I don't want you to think that I'm being insensitive, but remember you're being lied to by your depression, which says I can't do anything, I'm hopeless, I'm helpless, I can't move. You need to move, even if you don't feel like it. In fact, this is one of the other opportunities to be able to put your mind engaged over your body. You may not feel emotion like moving. Your body may actually want to stay very still. And the most important thing you possibly can do is to get in motion. One of the people that wrote to me who um, said this is the way I deal with depression is Fred Hahn. And you can see an interview with Fred Hahn and talking about exercise for young children. You'll see that in one of my archived programs. I think that was in 2009. Fred Hahn wrote to me and said basically what he does when he is depressed is he gets into motion and he eats carefully. Let me see if I can capture it. I'm going to move the phone away from me for a moment and see if I can capture what he said. Hold on. Well, I'm trying to capture that. I want you to be thinking what you can specifically do in motion right now to be able to help yourself out of that floor of the depression. So Fred Hahn is a fitness trainer. Red Hahn is very big on the impact of eating. He says, Carol, this question, personally, I feel that if you are eating and sleeping well, you can't become depressed. True depression is the hormonal But I, I, when I eat a good meal, a good deal of fat in the morning, trust that, I feel like that somehow helps me to eat still. So we're going to have to talk to Fred more at another time about what type of fats he's eating that actually keeps things going. However, nutritionally speaking, those omegas are really good for your brain and bathe it so that it actually, you can think of it as a car, your oil in your brain, so that it works better and you're more alert. 
in addition, there are other nutrients you can actually take, and I think I'd recommend to you that you look into GABA, 5-HTP, and Relicor Interest in combination. Now, notice I can't recommend it as a psychologist because that's not my field. However, as a nutrition counselor, I can say to you that those nutritional elements are well worth you looking into and seeing if those fit you. Now, some of the other people that do research on that particular thing of nutrition might also suggest SAMI or St. John's Wort. Both of those have side effects you might want to look into as well, um, but they're worthy. Now, interesting that Fred Hahn doesn't talk about exercise, and he is definitely an exercise guru that has some wonderful things on YouTube. So Fred Hahn, H-A-H-N is his last name. So that's coming. But let me go to another nutritionist, uh, Winifred. Hello, Winifred, if you're listening out there. I can't make your, take your call at the point. I'm not at a switchboard. But Winifred is a nutritionist and a woman. It's in her 70s. It's one of the most beautiful, vibrant teenagers I have met. And, and she's a teenager now, even though she's in her 70s. The reason she is is that she drinks lots of water, and Kanjan water is something that is very near and dear to she and her husband. And that will be another show that we'll do an interview from, as well as eating raw, eating naturally, eating, as she said, foods that don't have barcodes attached to them. I think that's a great way to look at it, foods that are naturally there for you. In other words, what I'm trying to say to you is you're not hopeless and you're not helpless because you can change the implements into your diet, the supplements into your diet, what you implant inside of your body. You can change. See, that's one of the main reasons that depression is a lie. Depression says you're hopeless and you're helpless. And depression's not a lie to you when you're sad, you're cheerful, when things are rough, and you are sad and worried, it's only a lie when it makes you believe that that's the only state that you're going to be able to exist in is in that horrible, dark state where you can do nothing, say nothing, and effect nothing. That's the lie. Often people say, I don't want to be depressed, I shouldn't be depressed, and I'm going to disguise it. Then that becomes a lie as opposed to depression being the truth. But depression can lie to you. Another person, Kelly T. Woods, made a beautiful comment that what she does, and she lives in the Northwest, the wonderful outdoors, being able to see the beauty of nature, the activity of nature and the natural animals, being able to feel the air around her, the wonderful experience of stepping out of nature makes her shift out of depression. Now, we can talk about being active, but when you're depressed, the last thing you want to do is to get up. If you're depressed hormonally, or you have a disorder with your thyroid, you're depressed physically, or you've moved into that state where depression has taken over the chemicals in your body then and, and gone too far with cortisol or dopamine being compromised, then you have to do it out of willpower. It may be that if you are in a relationship with someone who is depressed, your father, your husband, your wife, your child, you may have to be the one that gets them engaged in an activity even if it's in the moment of watching a funny movie, a funny half hour, a funny YouTube video, or playing a funny game or remembering a funny story, if you can get someone to laugh, including yourself if you're depressed, laughter immediately floods your body with serotonin or antidepressants. And that laughter 
means you are not helpless and you are not hopeless. That laughter is extraordinarily important. Do you remember Norman Cousins way back when? He's dying of a major disease or so he's told, and he decides that he's going to spend his time ingesting vitamin C and watching nothing but Laurel and Hardy and other comedic movies and laugh and laugh and laugh, and indeed he laughed himself all the way into health. So laughter chemically has been proven to make a big shift in your life. Now, I know that these may seem really superficial to you and extremely insensitive, but at the same time, think about them more as your way of fighting off the lies of depression. Okay, I can do laughter. I can figure that out. I can make myself watch something. Now, on the other end of it, think about the possibility you need some catharsis. You need someone to connect with you emotionally, empathically with the exact state that has shifted you into depression. Now, this is a different way of dealing with depression, and it may work really well for you, and that is to be able to tell people your story of why you're depressed. Talk to them. Share with your feelings. Cry together with someone. Cry yourself in the presence of that other person. Be with someone who's extremely powerfully empathic with you. Watch extremely sad movies or sad excerpts. Watch situations that are even worse than your situation so you can kind of be grateful that yours isn't as bad as it could be. Move into a very strong sense of how sad it is for you and cathart it. Have the empathy, sympathy, and kindness with yourself to be able to move into that kind of hugging, holding moment with yourself, like wrapping yourself in a soft blanket so that you can have kind of healing, the nurturing that you may also be needing to have that has something to do with being able to shift you out of depression. Now, all of that is related to a very different aspect of depression. It may not be a good formula for some people who will only drive them deeper into a state of depression because they're so much into experiencing their depression that they can't see anything else. But people who are going through transition depression, a breakup of a relationship, a death of someone or something, an end of something, or a shift or transition where you're moving away from one location into another, this transitional thing that can grab you and just suck you in where you need the kindness of someone really getting what you're going through. And in that case, getting your own depression is also a real positive sort of thing. So it is not so unexpected to find out that touching that's gentle and loving and hugging and being held also releases antidepressants into your system. It's not so surprising, is it? In fact, crying can move those hormones that are pain relievers faster and swifter into your system. All of those things can help in those moments. Well, I know this is a little bit like a self-help sort of situation, but let me go also into the therapeutic environment. I'm a psychologist, have been for 30, been a psychotherapist in one form or another for 32 years, a psychologist since 1987, um, a, a marriage family child therapist. I work with children and adults. I work with spouses. I work with um, uh, um, adult children of parents who are very depressed. I work with wives who watch their husband transition into is what's called now the male menopause, which is time where men are most likely to feel very depressed. They're depressed about where they have gone in their life, their projects, their dreams, their careers. They may feel let down. They may feel like they let other people down. They're riddled with a sense of guilt and 
regret, and that is a male type of depression as well as their testosterone levels are dropping and their estrogen is increasing in estrogen and along with progesterone are known for creating certain bouts of depression and we know that as women with postmenopausal syndrome, PMS. So I've worked with women with their husbands and how do they get their husbands out of the situation? Well, most of the time a woman will yell and scream and pout and whine. Why? Because you're angry. You're angry that someone has become not as potent as they once were, or they're not helping out as much as they were before, or they're leaving more responsibilities to you because they've become inactive and passive. And to be quite honest with you, it's an interesting human reaction. But when an animal is wounded, the other animals will either nurture or they will further wound or they will abandon, and they'll abandon it to the scavengers. Now, that's a, those are three responses of nature. And it seems that in human nature, it's very similar as well. So when a wife sees a man be wounded, sometimes the wife will have that natural inclination to abandon or to wound in addition. There, that usually comes after a period of time when the nurturing responses don't seem to wake the person out of their biological or situationally induced depression. So... Be aware when you kind of feel like you want to push and prod and be angry. And for some people, interestingly enough, that actually works. I call it the McEnroe syndrome. I don't need to pick on McEnroe, but John McEnroe had a way of when his tennis game was off, he'd yell and scream and swear at himself and others, mostly at others. And that would get enough adrenaline boosting in his system that he'd be able to get back into his tennis game. So the yelling and screaming and the the swearing and getting upset for some people wakes them up out of their lethargy, makes them spicy, eager to fight. They can move into the adrenaline and all the other hormones associated to waking up their amygdala by getting angry. And that does function temporarily as an antidepressant. So that that will work for some people. It tends to be short-term unless they move into successful accomplishment of a task or feeling like there's meaningfulness and purpose in their life, and I'm generally talking about men who are going through the, the depression of the, the, male, the male menopause. Now, if we talk about other personalities, and typically women, if they're going through depression that's either hormonal and they feel sad and helpless, they feel like they are um, in, a, in a, a lost position, they feel out of sorts, they feel like they're not going to regain something that feels like it has the vigor or their beauty, it's a loss of something. There is a way in which there are certain personalities, men and women, but predominantly women, where they need to have the empathy of touch, kindness, calmness, gentleness, understanding, sweet gestures, and giving, and not the sense of lecture. In fact, if you lecture people who are like this, they can sink deeper into their sense of worthlessness and helplessness and become more depressed. But if you um, are very connected to them in an empathic way and try to process them, kind of like taking them, going into the cave with them, dwelling in there with them for a period of time, grabbing their hand and slowly walking them out of the cave. That is a process that's different. And so sometimes you just need to know when you need to kick in the pants or when you need someone to come and gently walk you out of the cave after they've stepped in your moccasins, so to speak. So psychotherapy is that this is um, kind of uh, initiated, the section has been initiated by talking about psychotherapy, has so many different techniques and tools associated to it in terms of depression. 
and depression has so many different faces to it. It looks different. And in addition, depression interfaces with personality styles differently so that when you walk into a room with a therapist, that they understand the idiosyncrasy of what you're going through, that you are yourself and your version of being depressed is your own version of being depressed given your personality, the situation, the instigator of your depression, and the way you learn to not listen to the lies of helplessness and hopelessness. That therapist can use any number of techniques Cognitive behavioral therapy, psychoanalytic psychotherapy or psychodynamic therapy, interpersonal psychotherapy, um, and then dialectic um, uh, cognitive therapy. These uh, are therapies that are very commonly used with major depressive disorders. And depending on your practitioner, they may know how to use all of them or they may be trained in one specific some of those therapies are going to match you better than other therapies. So you may need to have that emotional, interpersonal connection as well as the coaching to move yourself out of it and to come back to rediscovering who you are. Uh, you may need to have someone organize programs for you to be able to stop the depressive thoughts and create intrusively positive thoughts. You may need someone that motivates you in terms of exercise and nutrition. You may need someone that motivates you in terms of how to sleep. But most dynamically, you're going to need another person so that you do not feel helpless or hopeless because now you have got someone in your team, in your court, coaching you in a very tough situation where you may not be able to figure out how to find your way out of the hole. I'm remembering what those miners in Chile had to go through. They lived down there and saw their people die and nearly died themselves and then finally were rescued. And um, just recently there was a review, and I think it was on 60 Minutes, about many of them still having a post-traumatic stress reaction of depression and anxiety. Tough situation. But I want you to think for a moment that if you are in the mind and it has collapsed on you and that's the way it feels in your state of depression you need people above your ground who know you're down there number one number two are not going to give up on you and they're going to keep drilling or finding equipment and apparatus that can get you up from your situation and fuel and nutrition you while you're down there. So to know that you've got people on your team, and the therapist is the person on your team, they're going to make sure that you do not stay down there is a way for you to tell your depression that it is a lie that you are helpless because you have been able to gather together people to help you. But let me go to the other side of this intriguing dialectic, so to speak, because sometimes people become depressed and they gain so much love and attention, which they authentically need, so much caring, which they authentically need. They, in actuality, become attached to their depression because it feels like their depression was the very factor, the significant essential factor that draws people to them to give them the attention and love that they need. This is called using depression as a secondary game. And in using depression as a secondary game, people around that are nurturing, that are part of your team, that really want to help you out, can actually become cogs in the wheels of colluding with you and keeping you down in that miner's cave. In other words, if you're very attached to 
being loved and taken care of and soothed, and the only way you know how to get that type of uh, factor, seriously, genuine, wonderful component in your life is by expressing depression. And if the only time these people seem to pay attention to you is when you're down there, then you may become attached to the depression itself. And guess what? It keeps you not functioning and being your dynamic, enthusiastic, meaningful, contributing self. So the trick is this, is for you to recognize I'm depressed and I'm thinking I'm using this as a secondary way of getting the wonderful love and attention I fundamentally need. So I need to come out of my depression and I need to figure out how I'm going to get what I need in ways that are dynamic and wonderful and loving. So be be aware that that's the other side of the fence when you are dealing with people um, that are on your team that are very caring and loving. Now, those of you that are the very much caregivers and the givers, I hate to say there's a term for being codependent, and codependent means that you are somehow colluding or entangled in this relationship with this person who's going to stay in a down-and-out position, whether it's an addiction, and believe you me, a person can be addicted to a state of depression. It can be a biochemical addiction, I know that sounds funny to say, or it can be an emotional addiction. And so you can be involved in this interpersonal, codependent connection with this person where they actually stay there because you're so giving to them in that state. What a dilemma for you, those of you that are caring, loving, and empathic, because the more you give, the more they actually stay stuck. So the process of giving has to be actually thought of in a different way. Giving that creates growth can be the exact same actions that create stuckness or regression. So it's not the action so much as you looking at seeing what are the consequences of my giving is it causing this person to develop or is it causing this person to remain stuck or get worse? And so as a giver, you have to ask yourself that question and then you take the rough decision of what's called tough love. Tough love means that you have to figure out a different way of giving love than keeping them dependent on the form of love that you're offering. Well, sometimes it takes a therapist to get this whole complex systemic um, connection to work and function in the way it's supposed to work and function. Uh, So you can't always see yourself in the middle of a situation. But maybe some of the things that I'm saying give you a sense of, huh, interesting idea. Maybe I am somewhat adherent in that poster position. Well, a wonderful individual named Diane DiNatale also gave me a really good idea about how she deals with depression. Let me move this away and get out into the internal world, her connection with the spiritual power that ensures that she's not helpless or hopeless because bigger than she exists to be able to help her through the process. That's being able to connect, to tether to a power that's bigger than you through prayer. Same with nature and being reminded what that beautiful stillness is as well as all that oxygen that comes when you're in the midst of nature. You'll notice that on the website I have a picture of a cat, one of our loving, loving cats. 
and uh, we're just so glad that, that our pets are part of our life. And it is shown that in places of hospitals or where the elderly are, where people are recovering, that when they have a pet to cuddle, the pet to to hold, to talk to, to interact with, that in fact the antidepressants begin to be released into the brain. So pets are absolutely there, plus they don't have guile, they're so straightforward, they can be very loving, and even if they're having a self-centered motor, wanting you to, to play with them gets you out of your way, as well as their dependence on you to take care of them, which leads me to another factor. You'll also notice on the Blog Talk Radio, Dr. Carol Francis' site right now for this program, there's also a green sign that says random acts of kindness. It is shown that people who are depressed, who force themselves to go to voluntary situations or situations in their neighborhood where they have to take care of someone because someone's dependent on them or they have an opportunity to volunteer a moment, an hour a day, that you actually move yourself out of depression because you've made your life more meaningful. Number two, you've tapped into your ability to give as opposed to tap into your feelings of emptiness. Number three, you feel the sense of your importance in the cosmos and your value. And, you know, we all know that we need each other. We need to be interdependent with each other. And it is the beauty of being able to have that connection giving out that moves us out of our own cauldron of feeling sad, tearful, even self-pity, and those dark, dark, deep blue depressions. Well, this is Dr. Carol Francis. I'm a clinical psychologist. I certainly do not mean to make light of any of the questions any of you are feeling or those that you love are feeling. But I'm hoping that some of these ideas will be something you can hold on to. And if I've given you 30 ideas in these last two programs, one or two of them, to start doing them today, now, this very moment. And please do contact me at drcarolfrancis.com or drcarolfrancis at gmail.com or on the Facebook, Dr. Carol Francis Show or Dr. Carol Francis. Um, and feel free to call me at 310-543-1824. Give me your stories of how you have gotten yourself out of your situation give me permission to use them on the radio show. This is all about making this happen for you and others in whatever moment you see yourself in. Take care. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.